I want to invite you to turn with me to our sermon text today, which comes from the letter to the Colossians. This is in the New Testament, Colossians 1. Uh, you can find it in the Pew Bible on page 924, 924. This uh, Christmas season, we're looking at those passages in the New Testament that show a big, exalted, majestic view of Jesus. We, we, we don't want merely to think of him as just having been a baby. Uh, clearly, he was a baby, and that's very, very important, but it's only important because of who he is besides a baby. Uh, he is the Lord and the King of all, and so this one is probably one of the highest, most exalted of all the New Testament statements about the person of Jesus Christ. I'll be reading in verse 15 all the way down to verse 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Amen. All of us at some time, probably many times in our lives, have been in an argument over what is best uh, quite often those arguments are very small things that are trivial. You know, you might have an argument about ice cream or frozen yogurt. That doesn't really matter too much, but you might have an argument. Waffles or pancakes, right? We all know what the Schultz would choose in, in waffles <laughs> or pancakes, right? That's right. Um, but those are relatively minor disagreements. Uh, in fact, we would lose no sleep over them. But as you begin to go up the scale of importance and you start to fight over what's best or better, heartburn starts to set in and maybe even complete grief. I mean, just for, as an example, a silly example, but it's true. My heart was truly broken last week when the college football playoff committee decided to leave Florida State out. Right? Isn't that sad? Thank you. <laughs> And, and listen, I know that's silly, and I know it's only a little bit further up the scale than yogurt or ice cream, and yet the higher you get, the things that are more important to you, they can actually affect how you feel. They can actually affect how you live. Well, look at this. Paul writes the entire book of Colossians. This whole letter is written to these early Christians to argue with them and to convince them that Jesus is best compared to everything else. 
Jesus is simply better than everything. Do you notice how many times in what we read he says all things and everything? And what he's doing is he's trying to put on one column Jesus and on the other column everything else, all the things that you might rank in your life. And he's showing you Jesus is higher, Jesus is better. Therefore, you don't need to go looking to add to Jesus any other thing to make you spiritually whole or complete. If you have Jesus, you have all. All that you need. Right? I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. If you have Jesus, you have all that you need because of who he is. And so if you look at your bulletin, Paul points out here three things about Jesus that are just magnificent that we want to spend a few moments just meditating on this morning. First of all, in verses 15 to 18, he says, Jesus is the preeminent Lord of all. Then in verses 19 and 20, he says, he is the sufficient Savior of all. And then finally, in verses 21 to 23, he is the glorious hope of the believer. You don't need to go looking anywhere else. You can find all you need in Christ. All right, so number one, he's the preeminent Lord. In verses 15 to 18, Paul is introducing us to this Jesus who was born into this world. And yes, he was a baby. And yes, he was laid in swaddling clothes in a manger. And what a wonder that was. But it was a wonder because, precisely because, he was not just another infant being born to just another family. Now, I'll say the birth of an infant is a wonderful, marvelous thing no matter who they are. But the birth of an infant is not a life-changing or world-changing thing. It's definitely not a world-changing thing, except in this case. Because look at who Jesus is, by the way, which is who he was and who he always will be. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact expression of who God is. If you were to look at Jesus, the Son of God, you were to see God himself, nothing taken away and nothing added, perfect, pure expression of God's own character and will and power and purpose. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, that does not mean that Jesus was the first created thing to be created, as some people want to uh, conclude based on verse 15. Instead, it means, as it goes on to tell us, that Jesus was before and more important than, in fact, the ruler of and heir of all created things. The firstborn at this time was the one who inherited everything. Everything in the family went from the father to the firstborn, usually son. And here Jesus is described as the firstborn of all creation because he himself is the source of all creation. It tells us in verse 16, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, even things that we can't even explain like thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Most commentators agree that what likely Paul means by rulers and authorities and thrones is actually angels, the the angelic powers that we hardly know anything about. The Bible only says a very little about the angels and how they're organized and ranked and the various kinds of powers that God has given to the angelic beings. And yet it says here, no matter which kinds of angelic beings there are, all of them were made by Jesus and all of them were made for Jesus. They exist to serve Jesus Christ. 
because he's the firstborn of the father's family and the exact expression of who the father is in every single way. Now think about that when you think about the baby laid in the manger. That that baby, even as his little tiny hand grasped the finger of his mother Mary, even then his hand as God was upholding the universe that he made. And let that thought just blow your mind. It's good to have your mind blown for the sake of the Lord. It is good. To remember how awesome this is, lest we turn Christmas into just a little warm, fuzzy feeling here or there. It's more than that. God became man. Verse 17, he who was before all things and in him all things hold together became man. All things hold together in him, meaning he upholds it. This morning, I want you to know that you live and move and have your being because of Jesus Christ. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you even believe in him or not, please do not think that your heartbeat is simply the result of your circulatory system. I, I agree it is because of that, but only as a secondary means that God uses. And don't think your breath is just a part of your respiratory system. Your breath and your blood and everything else about you is upheld and held together by the, the power of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the head over all creation. This means a lot. In fact, it means even more to us this morning who are his church because it tells us in verse 18, this same Jesus who made creation is also the Jesus who saves his new creation. He saves his people, the church. He's the head of the body, the beginning of the church, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The word preeminent means highest. No one can get higher than Jesus. And here he tells us it's not only because he made you, but it's also because he died on the cross to save you from your sins and was raised from the dead to bring you new life. Because of that, he reigns with a crown that will never fade. Jesus directs the events of history for the glory of his Father and for the good of his church the people for whom he died. Now, it's one thing if you think Jesus is just a nice religious figure or teacher to welcome him into your life. It's another thing to believe Jesus is this and welcome him into your life. Right now, some of you are probably already preparing your homes for guests at the holidays. Anybody doing that? What are some of the things you do to prepare your house? You clean, right? And you clean more than you cleaned all year. Those corners that you never looked at, you're in there scrubbing. The cobwebs that those poor spiders have worked on for months since last Christmas, you just sweep them away in a moment because somebody important is coming. Somebody that you love, hopefully, is coming to stay with you, even if it's just for a meal. Now imagine this. Imagine if the, the President of the United States was visiting Mulberry. Wouldn't that be something? What, yeah, what, 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 kinds of, what kinds of preparations would have to be made? Extreme preparations. 
I mean, we don't even, can't even imagine what that would be like. Imagine if a king were arriving. How all things had to be put in exactly the right way to prepare for the coming of a great person. Now think about this. If Christ is this, and we're sitting here singing on Christmas, Lord, not only, not only be born in the manger, but be born in my heart. We're also at the same time saying, dethrone me. Uncrown me so that you can wear the crown. It is impossible for Christ to be preeminent in your life if you insist on also being preeminent in your life. Did you hear me? It is impossible for Christ to be preeminent in your life if you also are determined to be preeminent. You say, well, how do I do that? I don't do that, Stan. Well, let me tell you how I do it. And maybe you can relate. Here's one way I do it. I do it by my worry and my fear. Worry and fear. Did you know the Bible tells us about a lot of different emotions? And not all, of, not all emotions in the Bible are positive. I hope you know that. The Bible doesn't just say you have to be happy all the time. The Bible affirms various emotional states, but it tells you how to use them. So like, for example, be angry, but don't sin. Meaning it's okay to be angry. In fact, sometimes you should be, but just don't sin. Carry your anger with character. Um, Same thing with sadness. Mourn, it says, but don't mourn as those who don't have hope. So mourning is good in its place, but don't let it get out of its place. Do you know one emotion the Bible doesn't tell you to have? It's actually the only thing it says about it is don't. Do not fear Do not be afraid. Do not worry. The Bible never says it's okay to be afraid or to worry in certain situations. It says don't do it. Here's why. This is the insight that I want to bring to you from my own life. Behind my worry wartness, we have any other worry warts with me today? Behind my my scaredy cattedness, any other scaredy cats in the room sometimes, is this. I think that my life depends on me. That underneath it all is my hand upholding the universe. In other words, it's an example of me trying to be preeminent. And and when Jesus comes into our lives, he says, give that up. Die to your worry. Die to your fear. Lay it at my feet and let me be Lord. Let me be the one to carry your life. Don't worry about those things that you cannot control. Let me control them. Another way that I do it is my pride. Any other people in the room that can be proud or arrogant or stubborn, perhaps? Uh, You can't tell me because I know better, that kind of attitude. I know what's right. You don't. That attitude, too, is rooted in a desire for me to be preeminent, so much so that I'm not willing to consider any other fellow human even as my, as my helper or my guide, let alone someone who makes claims like are made here about Jesus, someone who says, I'm Lord of everything in your life, Stan. You must give it all up to follow me. Don't you see? Maybe I've convinced you. We all try to be preeminent. The call of Christmas, the call of the gospel is this. Lay down your crown at Jesus' feet because your crown is not worth anything anyway. It's fading very fast. And let Christ be crowned. 
get off the throne and let Jesus mount his throne in your heart. He must be preeminent or you must be preeminent. There can't be both. All right, that's the first thing. He is the preeminent Lord of all creation. But I want you to see, secondly, that Jesus Christ is a sufficient Savior. Uh, There in verse uh, 19 and 20, he tells us two really important things. First of all, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, that's a massive statement. Um, I like the way that the New International Version and the King James put it a little bit better than the ESV, where it says that God was pleased. It was God who was pleased that his fullness might dwell in Jesus. That, to me, makes a little bit more sense than to say his fullness was pleased to dwell in Jesus. It was God who was pleased to have all his fullness available to humans in and only in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, right there in that statement, you have kind of the whole Bible in miniature. You have the whole Christian faith in one little nutshell. God pledges the fullness of who he is to people like us. Can you believe it? Amazing, incredible that God would share his fullness with us. His wisdom, his power, his righteousness, his love, his mercy, his justice, he shares it. But he only shares it through Jesus. He shares it through no other. It was the good pleasure of God that those who receive wisdom might only receive it at the hand of his son. And it's his son who makes foolish people like me wise by grace. He makes ungodly people like me righteous by giving me the gift of righteousness. He makes weak people like us powerful by giving us the power of his spirit dwelling in us. God has willed it that no other way of salvation be available except his son, Jesus. And if we want to complain about that or argue about that, then we just need to stop and consider that what God has made available to Jesus, he has made available to all throughout the whole world. And he has made available what is an unending supply of grace that the more you take, the more there is. God's fountain of goodness All of it, the fullness of God, is available to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how is this so? How can a person like me receive the fullness of God? Well, it tells us it was through the reconciliation, verse 20, that God made between me and him through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. He made peace through the blood. Jesus came with a body. That's why he was born as a baby, so that he would have a human body, flesh and bone, to offer up in the place of other human beings, uh, punished and, and, and brought down into God's judgment for our sins, fully paid for, so that we might be accepted and brought back to God in a peaceful, loving relationship. Do you notice it? The whole of salvation found through the cross, through Jesus, all the fullness of God opened up forever. A fountain of living water that you can draw from all the time. But you've got to come through Jesus. So here's here's the lesson. He's the preeminent Lord, which means you can't be preeminent too. He's also the sufficient Savior, which means you don't need any other Savior besides him. Just him. 
which is wonderful news because he's enough. The fact that you just need him is great news because he is absolutely enough. He's the most wise. Imagine if you had a very bad disease, uh, a, a potentially fatal disease, and you were going to get uh, a doctor's opinion on what to do, and one doctor told you you had to have immediate surgery, and the other doctor told you you didn't have to have surgery, but this other treatment. Immediately after seeing both doctors, what do you have to do? It's, it's one of the hardest things that we have to do when we're, in, we're sick like that. What do we have to do? Choose. Isn't that tough? I mean, some of us have been there, right? Some of y'all have been there, having to choose between two very smart people. One who has one plan of salvation, one who has another. You know what? You can't go both because you're either going to have surgery immediately or you're not. You can't have it both ways. You got to choose and you got to live with what you've chosen. Well, this is the way the gospel is. The gospel comes and says, Jesus Christ is where all the fullness of God is. He has his plan of salvation. Any other plan of salvation is a dead end. It's a no-go. It's not going to work. But before us every day is a choice. Are we going to have Jesus Christ as our only Savior? Or are we going to have him as not our Savior at all? He'll be either all or he'll be nothing to you. Either you'll be saved completely by Jesus or you will not be saved by Jesus because you're trying to get saved in some other way. This is the problem, by the way, with saying, Jesus, I like what you're saying and I'll follow you once or twice a year or once or twice a month, you know, when I come to church. But the rest of my life, I'm going to spend trying to build security for myself in a thousand other ways. I'll come here the preacher, and for a moment, I'll be excited about it. But then I'm going to go back to building my nest egg, my reputation, my various achievements, and that's what's really making me feel secure in my life, not Jesus. But I just come to hear Jesus because, you know, I'm supposed to do it. That's not what he's offering you. I hope you hear that. It's not what Jesus is offering you. Jesus says, come to me and lay all the other saviors down. Not saying that a nest egg is bad, or any of those other things, but saying this clearly, they are not your Savior. No one or nothing can give you what Jesus offers, which is eternal, spiritual, and as we read, all the very fullness of God. That's something a bank account cannot contain, the fullness of God. Only Christ can contain the fullness of God, and so what you need is him. That means something very important this morning. Do not hesitate to come to Jesus. Don't hesitate. There's a lot of people who do hesitate, and they hesitate because they feel like, well, Jesus is for people who have it all together, and I don't have it all together. I'm a broken person, and I'm never going to be fixed, and I'm just a, you know, I'm a burden to Jesus. Don't you hear what this passage says? We're all a burden to Jesus, but a burden which he gladly bore. We're all completely empty. That's why it pleased God that his fullness might dwell in Jesus. For the sake of the empty, don't hesitate coming to Jesus. 
But also, when you come to Jesus, don't come hedging your bets. You don't have to hedge your bets. You don't have to have plan B or C or D. Listen, your own merits, your own good intentions, your own achievements, your own possessions, they will not cut it. Just lay them all down. And throw your life completely, all your security on Christ. Don't you see? We have a fountain of life that never ceases to flow. And yet, quite often, we're trying to use leaky buckets to gather up dirty water from all these different places to satisfy our thirst. Jesus says, no. In me, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and I have reconciled you to myself through the cross. Come to me and take no other thought or no other worry or no other fear about anything else. Let me take care of it. Let me save your soul. Let me give you a purpose that only I can give you. That's the second thing. He's a preeminent Lord. He's a sufficient Savior. But I want you to see finally, he's a glorious hope. That's found in verses 21 to 23 where Paul takes his teaching and he makes it personal. He begins in verse 21, and you... Uh, the you is plural, y'all and y'all. This is also true of y'all, he says, and he explains how it's true of them. Now, think about this. How many of you are tired of everything wearing out? How many of you feel wore out this morning? Right? The younger kids don't get to answer that. They're not, they haven't reached that level yet. You'll get there. Everything in life wears down, doesn't it? How disappointing. How disappointing. And yet I want you to hear what Paul says here is that Jesus Christ is for daily use. And he never wears out. He's for daily use. He's not for annual use at Christmas. He's not for monthly use. Frankly, he's not even just for weekly use. He's for daily use. And the more you use him, the more abundant and strong is his salvation towards you. Verse 21 says this, you, y'all, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now that's who we were. That's who all of us were. And if you have not received Christ as your Savior or Lord, this is who you are right now. No matter what you may think of yourself, hear what God says about you. You are alienated from him. You do not know God. And you are hostile in your mind towards him. And he knows it. And probably deep down, you know it as well. We all were this way. We were doing evil deeds, but we were doing evil deeds because we were evil in the heart, in the mind. But notice what God has done through Jesus. When you believe, you are reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? So that Jesus can present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Hear that. 
Jesus does not just come to reconcile you on day one that you become a Christian. He comes to reconcile you on day one so that on every other day following, you might be made more holy, blameless, and above reproach before God. He is a Savior for daily use. He's got a long-range plan for your life. And it involves today you becoming more holy in his sight than you were yesterday. And today becoming more blameless than yesterday. And tomorrow more above reproach than today. And praise God in eternity perfectly holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. And so what that means is you and I, in order to grow, in order to feel refreshment as Christians, it's not that we need some other thing to supplement Jesus. Instead, what we need is to come back again to Jesus and shore up our foundations in him. You don't need someone else. You don't need some other strategy. You need Jesus. And your foundations to be firm with him, which is what he says in verse 23, the big if. Did you notice the big if in verse 23? If indeed you continue in the faith. Faith is not static. Faith is not one and done. Faith is daily. Continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Those words are construction words. Stable. Have a good foundation. Be firmly fixed to it. Steadfast. Have all the right support structure built on that foundation. Not shifting, not crumbling, not falling. Because you're founded on something that cannot be shaken. Do you remember a couple of years ago the, the tower, the condo that collapsed in South Florida? The Surfside condos in Miami, a tragic thing in the middle of the night. And they looked at it and studied it and found that there were many cracks in the foundation that had been developing for a long time. There were rusted steel bars that it were a result of lots of flooding over time. Over time, the foundations of that place were weakened. What needed to happen was not that they would somehow, if they could, take the building and move it off one foundation and put it onto another. They just needed to continue to ensure that it was founded on what it was founded on. And they failed to do that. Paul says the Christian life is a lot like that. It's not that every time you feel dry or down or discouraged or wore out, you need to go searching for some new thing, some better thing, some greater thing. That's not what you need. What you and I need is a firmer connection to the one we're already connected to. We need more of Jesus, not less or not more of something else. More of Jesus. The fountain of Jesus continues to flow with the fullness of God. Faith and its job is to continually go and draw from that fountain and be refreshed. We are constantly tempted not to do that. I'm telling you, the temptation to turn to other things is so strong. I know that y'all know that. When you start feeling down or uneasy or discouraged in your faith, it's so easy, isn't it, to turn to the money, to turn to the entertainment, to turn to the whatever, rather than getting back into Jesus. But I'm telling you, that's what you need. Jesus is better. He's more preeminent than those other things. He's got the fullness of God, which no one else has. You can go to him for all that you need. In fact, 
you don't have to go very far because you're already founded on him if you're a Christian. (laughs) So you already have Christ in your heart, the Bible says. What you need to do is draw that out by faith, by saying, Jesus, help me. I'm wore out. Give me your strength. I don't know how to interact with that person that's frustrating me. Give me your patience. Lord Jesus, I'm guilty and feeling condemned, like I'm not worthy of being in your kingdom. Remind me of the blood of your cross, which speaks a better word than my guilty conscience. Oh, Jesus, I feel bored. Oh, give me just a, an amazing vision of your majesty as the firstborn of all creation and the reason of all existence. Show me a little bit in my mind's eye of, of what heaven must be like so that I wouldn't be bored on this earth anymore. Take anything, any situation, any problem, and you'll find in Jesus a rich treasury to meet your need. Oh, Christian, don't you know that in your heart is one who is greater Don't you know in your heart there is one who, yes, at one point was a baby lying in a manger, helplessly dependent on his mother. And what a glorious thing. But he is helpless no longer. He is raised. He is to the right hand of God. He is now what he always was before he was born. Perfectly glorious with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and He comes to live in you. Draw from Him, build your life on Him. And what this passage is telling us is if we do, we will never be disappointed. Jesus Christ is for daily use, and yet in that daily use, He is never diminished or worn out, not one bit. The more you draw, the more there is to draw from. It's a marvel. 